I'm proud of the progress I've made to be able to make healthier choices and try to lift myself and lift others up while doing it. So running is freedom, running is empowerment, running is a, a vehicle to be you know, the best version of me. And I love trying to share that message far and wide because every one of us is capable of more than we realize. Every one of us has a, a better, stronger version that we can work toward. Greg Nance is one of those people whose wild idea has led to another and another and another. Greg studied in the UK, he's lived and worked in China, and founded several nonprofits and businesses. He's someone who prioritizes mental health and going after wild ideas, and he's more than 10 years sober. On top of that, Greg is an incredibly accomplished long distance runner. In fact, he just got back from running across the entire United States. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living, an REI Co-op Studios production. In July of 2022, Greg returned from an adventure of a lifetime. He ran from New York to Washington State in 84 days. During that time, he took zero days off and averaged 39 miles a day. That's the equivalent of 120 marathons in less than three months. For Greg, this cross-country run wasn't just about checking the experience off his bucket list. Greg was running to raise funds for his youth mental health organization, Run Far Foundation. Greg Nance, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. Thank you, Shelby. You're welcome. So your wild idea was to run 3,156 miles from Queens, New York to the shore of Washington State. Tell us about exactly what it took to do this. I've long had a dream to run from the Atlantic to the Pacific. And really, it takes number one, um, I think, starting with a vision and then putting together the very best team you can to make it happen. And I'm really fortunate. I had the vision and then built out a great team step by step by step. Almost six million steps later, um, we went from the Atlantic to the Pacific. But like one day, did you just wake up and you're like, hey, I'm going to go run 3,156 miles for mental health? Yeah. Why running and why run across country? So I, I think back to the 16-year-old version of me, you know, very carefree kind of teenager in a you know idyllic community, Bainbridge Island off the coast of Seattle, and went through some tough stuff. I lost my grandpa, Charlie. And I think back to the pain I felt and the despair I felt, the loneliness I felt. And in the wake of that, made some unhealthy choices around alcohol and painkillers. And I took a lot of wrong turns in those first years with drinking and drugging. Um, eventually, I started taking some of the right turns. And only after getting clean and sober and then working through that for a number of years did I realize that underneath all that were mental health challenges. And the run across America, I think, in so many ways was to reconnect with that 16-year-old version of me and do something that I know that 16-year-old version of me would be like super stoked on would be proud about and would just be like, wow, like I grew up to be a cool adult that like really was pushing it and living the best version of me. And so a lot of this, you know, is dedicated to that 16 year old version of Greg. And I'm proud of the progress I've made to be able to make healthier choices and try to lift myself and lift others up while doing it. I appreciate you sharing your honesty and candidness about 
why you decided to do this. Addiction and mental health issues run really deep in my family. And um, running is really interesting. I've interviewed a lot of endurance athletes who have addiction and they've traded addiction for running. Is, is there like a correlation? Like for you, did you always run when you were a kid? Did you run cross country in high school? Yeah, I, I played just about every sport growing up, uh, football, basketball, baseball, tennis, soccer. Um, I wasn't very good at any of them, but I was usually one of the quick kids on the team and I just loved getting out there moving. And so, yeah, when I was a, um, um, a senior in high school, I first went out for the cross country team and the track team um, wasn't that great, but I just really enjoyed it. And it was so just joyful to be moving, to be training, to be competing, just loved it. And, you know, for me, running is freedom. And in time, it became freedom from addiction as well. It, it was a release and an outlet that um, I didn't need to be drinking malt liquor or vodka to be feeling really good. And lacing up my running shoes became a little bit of that ritual and a far healthier one than, you know, drinking or drugging. So how did you get into running long distances? Yeah, so I went to school in Chicago for college and I was thought that I had a real shot to be, you know, a great college runner, but I was still really struggling with drinking at the time and it got to a place where it was absolutely getting in the way of training. I wasn't sleeping enough or, you know, properly hydrating and fueling and I became a very unreliable teammate missing practices and just not really being committed. And the coach who was a very compassionate good guy also needs a team that's reliable he can count on. And I was no longer um, in a position to to be a contributor there. And so he tells me to basically get lost in uh, spring of 2008. And I totally just missed, you know, I knew I had screwed up and I was totally bummed out. And I started doing these jogs along Chicago's lakefront, Lake Michigan there. It is such a beautiful place. And it was a um, opportunity to kind of get my stride again. And I would initially run just two or three miles and then add a fourth or a fifth. And before long, I was running, you know, all the way downtown Chicago and then back to the south side, 15, 18, 21 miles. And the farther I went, actually, the better I felt. In 2009, Greg decided to sign up for the Chicago Marathon. He loved it and running marathons became his new hobby. After graduating from college, Greg went to business school in the UK, and while he was there, he heard about a 50K ultramarathon on the southern coast of England. The race was brutal. It was raining, the wind was super strong, and Greg was freezing. When he got to the finish line, though, he was surprised to learn that he placed 10th overall. Placing the race was a big success, and it got him thinking about what else he could accomplish if he stopped drinking. So... Just, just curious, like, when did you decide to get sober? So I decided over a hundred times, Shelby, um, and I tried a bunch of times, but it wasn't as simple as just making the resolution and doing it. Um, a lot of times I'd wake up on a Saturday morning and think like, never again, like I can never drink because I do, you know, I'm hurting my friends, my family. I'm not treating people with the respect that they deserve. And, um, like, or, you know, I wake up and it's like, what did I do? Or like, I have like some potentially broken bone from something I don't even remember. I can never drink again. And yet eight or 10 or 12 hours later that Saturday night, I'm drinking again and waking up the next morning with a similar thought. And so, yeah, tried, you know, literally over a hundred times and it was only, um, 
in December 2011. You know, I've run that first ultra, I tell you. And then um, in the backdrop, as all that's happening, my own kind of personal life has really fallen apart where I was actually, I was a business school student in the UK and I have my dream opportunity in front of me. I'm a uh, business school student at my dream school, Cambridge University. Uh, I have a full scholarship from the Gates Foundation. <laughs> And I am blowing my stipend, not on textbooks and tuition like I'm supposed to, but instead on pubs and drugs. And that um, means that I, I literally am summoned to uh, the provost's office and get chewed out. You know, he calls me a disgrace. And if he could, he would expel and deport me. And it's like, well, look, I'm not used to hearing that from some authority figure. Like my life is completely unmanageable. I've, I've got to turn the corner here. And so, you know, maybe that was the hundred first time that I had uh, tried to, to finally get my act together. And with this ultra there in, um, in England and with a couple of the volunteer projects I was cranking on, I was able to channel some of that kind of nervous energy and feelings of anxiousness into running and I haven't looked back. So you got sober after that moment? I did. Yep, I did. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank That's you. Amazing. Yeah, it, it, it's like a dream. And no, it's, uh, uh, I would not be living the life I am today without those moments, including some tough ones to, uh, to get me there. So Greg, I want to go back to 2022 when you decided mm. to run across America. What was like the day you decided, okay, I'm going to go do this. Yeah. So at that finish line, 2011 at the ultra race in the, the UK, Okay. Precisely. I'm in England. I'm a 23 year old. And in that moment, I just felt so much just like happiness and like bliss that like, wow, I, I went and made this big thing happen. And I want to make a lot of big things happen. And uh, that was the moment of like, I want to run across the country. And like the decision was made, I'm going to do this. And I can only do it if I'm sober. Around that same time, Greg was presented with an opportunity to move to China to work on a platform that would help students all around the world gain access to educational programs. The project was a great success, but Greg's work was extremely stressful. He was responsible for a team of employees and thousands of customers. Despite the grind though, he stayed sober and he got even more disciplined with running. In the back of his mind, Greg knew he would run across America. And after seven years in China, Greg was ready to come back home and pursue his dream. When we come back, Greg talks about planning and funding his run. Plus, he tells us some great stories from his time on the road. In the summer of 2022, Greg Nance completed his run across America from New York to Washington State. During that time, Greg crossed 14 states, running over 3,000 miles in nearly 6 million steps. Running this distance was a personal mission for Greg, but it was also part of a bigger movement. Greg was raising money and support for youth mental health. The entire endeavor took a massive amount of preparation, from meeting locals to arranging accommodations and taking care of his own health, Greg knew he couldn't complete the journey alone. Okay, so the logistics of running 3,156 miles are no joke. You're no stranger to startups. You've obviously built a couple of companies. 
how, how did you plan this trip? Yeah, so I the first thing is I didn't do it alone. My mantra is best team wins. And I got really, really lucky because in 2020, I had the chance to connect with a fellow named Reed Block. And Reed is a uh, former uh, long distance cyclist and now human performance entrepreneur. And he's an elite operator who really knows how to get stuff done. I have some strengths, but no one would accuse me of being a great operator. So being able to partner with Reed, he was able to really break this down into, you know, a series of complex, you know, project management uh, deals. And we're able to figure out, you know, what are the core needs? Like what kind of support are we actually going to need day to day to day? And then go recruit, you know, these folks, including uh, Dr. Yoshi, a chiropractor, physio nutritionist, who is my body man, my body mechanic. And then uh, Elise Telford, who's a really awesome operator herself, a great marketer um, and very, very handy driving my F-150 as well. And so put together this team and then everything's possible with a great team. And so I could just feel immediately like we're going to we're going to make this happen. It's going to be really hard. We're going to make it happen. What's really funny that you said that because it seems like a lot of adventurers, they're not all the best operators, (laughs) but they're really good instigators. A lot of the people that I've interviewed, you know, who, who pursue wild ideas, including myself, I'm not the best uh-huh. at like managing. <laughs> Nobody would hire me to be their operations manager. But um, how did you fund this? Yeah. So a good chunk of it was out of pocket. See, so yeah, I spent about $55,000 just, uh, you know, paying salaries to make it happen. But the other side of this, you know, th- this was actually a fundraiser for uh, Run Far Foundation and our youth mental health mission. And so my expenses, my team expenses were out of pocket, though I had, you know, about 730 donors all told for our youth mental health mission. And a lot of these were five and $10 donations from someone we met at a Starbucks, you know, in the foothills of Pennsylvania. And then a number of these folks are, you know, my second grade or fifth grade teacher chipping in 20 bucks. Okay. So you ran for 84 days, the equivalent of 120 marathons. Yep. (laughs) How long does it take you to run a mile? Like, what do you do per mile? Like what's your pace for 40 miles a day? It's slow is the short answer. So yeah, if I was really cooking, I'd be doing like nine minute miles more often though, especially when I was like hobbling around it'd be like 12, 13, 13 thirties. And, um, yeah, I think I, I put down maybe a couple seven minute miles, uh, just when I was like feeling really good or if there's a little bit of a downhill, but key was like slow and steady, you know, keep showing up slow and steady. And do you walk any of it? A little bit. Yes. So one of the big challenges I haven't touched on is you got to eat a lot to fuel this. And so I needed to put down about 6,000 plus calories a day just to maintain, let alone to put enough down the hatch to like keep some muscle mass here. And so after putting down a big lunch, you know, 2,500, 3,000 calories, it's hard to be running with any steam. And so yeah, would walk it out for the next 20, 30 minutes get the legs back under me after that nap and after that feast and then start trotting again. So yeah, a little bit of walk run, but to, to put down 39 miles jogging it, you'll get there faster. You'll get there sooner. How did you not get injured? Yeah. So I, I was injured. Uh, I'd say 82 of those days, I would say like I was, you know, legit injured and it starts really small. So like I was in pretty good shape going into this, but yeah, from day three, like it, it's a comedy of errors, man. It's like, then it's my Achilles, then it's my ankle, then it's my calf. And then it's like Charlie horses, my hamstring. The biggest issues were left ankle tendonitis, and then really just like hip flexors that didn't want to cooperate. Lower back spasms, you know, in this Ohio cornfield, I'm on the ground crying, waiting for Dr. Yosh to come up to try to put Humpty Dumpty back together. 
And, uh, you know, day nine, I took a nasty, nasty spill. Uh, my foot caught a sidewalk in Pittsburgh and I face plant landing, uh, impinging my shoulder, a lot of pain. And that became kind of the, the quest within the quest for me. Like I was craving painkillers and I was like, look, like I can't relapse. You know, I'm trying to do this to like uplift people and is this journey of kind of self discovery and, and me kind of overcoming some of my previous challenges. I can't, you know, fall back in the mud on this one. So how did you deal with your own psychology during those times? Yeah. So it, um, every morning I was in bed feeling depressed and wondering, you know, what in the hell am I doing? Why am I doing this? And, uh, Dr. Yoshi and Elise were just so good at hacking my brain. And so for instance, Hey, like here's a cup of coffee on the desk at the little motel. You got to get out of bed to come get the coffee. Like something as simple as that. Like they were so good at those little itty bitty things. And, you know, they would drive 100 miles out of their way because they knew that Greg could really use a burrito today. Like, let's get him a burrito for lunch. Surprise him with this. We'll be back in two hours with your lunch. And I'd be like just in like despondent. And then, hey, here's a burrito. And it's like I'm like a little kid. I'm like a fourth grader, man. Like it's like give me some candy and some food. And like I'm pretty stoked again. Um, Every night I take Epsom salt baths and I would I would jot a little up post on my Instagram and uh, sharing that. I mean, it was a powerful way to number one, reflect on like what a cool opportunity this is. And number two, the number of friends that would then, you know, message me, call me and want to just like check in on me. Um, It was really, really sweet. And it was a reminder that I do feel alone quite a bit out here and it is really, really hard, but there are a lot of people rooting for me. And that's just really sweet, man. And it's, it's the kind of thing where even when you feel like you're carrying a million pounds on your back, it's a lot lighter when you realize, hey, like there are literally hundreds of people that are in my corner, would do anything they can to, to help me get a little further west. Running more than 3,000 miles takes an immense toll on the body and mind. There were many moments when Greg felt like he was at the end of his rope and couldn't go much further. Then something weird and wonderful would happen and he'd double over laughing or get inspired to keep pushing through to the finish line. Are there any funny moments that you recall? Oh man, every day. So maybe my um, my favorite single moment was uh, I had to get lots of tape, this uh, KT tape on my legs to try to keep me together. And, uh, you know, I don't have like the hairiest legs, but like if you have hair at all, it's like it's very painful removing this tape. And so we, we realized, look, we just got to shave your leg, dude, to like make this possible. So Dr. Yosh, uh, I've said, hey, like I can shave my own leg. I don't want you to have to do that. And he no, no, I insist, Greg, I'm going to be I need to do this. So he is shaving my leg. And as he is shaving my leg, there is a just a gust of wind that appears out of nowhere. And. All of this hair ends up in poor Dr. Yosha's mouth as he's shaving <laughs> my leg. And he is, you know, trying to spit this out. It's just this like, oh, man, like I should have just done this at the hotel last night. Instead, you're now spitting this out. And as that's happening, a uh, a fellow on horseback riding a horse named Blue. We're in the middle of nowhere. There's a guy on a horse just just appears. And there is Dr. Yosha trying to get hair out of his mouth as Blue and his rider roll up and is like, what are you doing? Like on the corner of my ranch, basically. And it's like, well, we're doing this run. And Dr. Yosha is now trying to get hair out of his mouth. So isn't the United States just so weird and wild? Then you saw it from a totally different perspective. Any hard days or extremely memorable days or mm. 
Yeah, I'll fast forward to day 53. Um, I am in, uh, I'm now in Eastern Montana. And so I've, uh, over the, you know, the preceding weeks have been really, really difficult from a physical and mental standpoint, emotional, spiritual, like just on every level. I, I am a broken man trying to just keep withering west here. I'm crossing into Cheyenne land, this beautiful rolling hill reservation in uh, Eastern Montana. And uh, I meet this uh, jovial looking elder named Cedric Fighting Bear. And it is the single most life affirming moment of the entire run for me, because as I dig into Cedric Fighting Bear's story, I have never met anyone in my life that has more reasons to be angry or resentful about how their life has gone. Um, Cedric's one of like nine kids. He's lost every sibling to accidents, to tragedy, to disease, to overdose, to addiction. He was orphaned at age nine. He goes and lives with a drunk uncle who beats him every single day, runs away from home. Like this guy has every reason to be down on life. And yet Cedric Fighting Bear is one of the most hopeful, optimistic, resilient people I've ever met. And his mission in life is now an elder on the Cheyenne lands is to be there for Cheyenne youth because there is an epidemic of mental illness and there's an addiction epidemic and a suicide epidemic that goes with it. And so Cedric Fighting Bear uses uh, various tribal stories, mythology and lore as a way to, to show people, look, we've been through really tough stuff as a people since time immemorial. And every single time we've come out you know, better and stronger because of it. We need to remember that right now. And uh, to close it off, Cedric wishes, you know, me, Dr. Yoshin Elise, safe passage. And he presents a little cedar shingle, braided sweet grass, and then a hawk's feather, all of which are, uh, are symbols for safe passage. And while saying this uh, kind of prayer, he reminds us that in Cheyenne mythology, runners always held a special place because they were the messengers between the seven tribes. And he you know, put his hand on my shoulder. It's up to you, Greg Runs Far, to go continue west of the Pacific because you have a message. Like you know, It's just like, wow, Like it's exactly what I needed as we're about to go climb the Rockies. And we have another thousand plus miles to go. And I feel so broken in so many ways. And yet... I, I can't let my buddy Cedric Fighting Bear down. I gotta make it to the Pacific. We do have this message that matters. Let's do it. Throughout Greg's run, so many different people inspired him to keep going. But nothing could prepare him for the final show of support on July 18th, 2022. As Greg was headed toward the finish line in Ocean Shores, Washington, he was met by an entire community who wanted to cheer him on during that final mile. What was it like when you reached that 3,156th mile in Washington State on the coast? It, it was overwhelming, man. So I uh, I was feeling kind of the totality of this life-affirming, life-changing experience. And I'm uh, running shoulder to shoulder with a good buddy, Andrew. We're jogging it in, and all of a sudden I noticed there's like people out. And there's people on both sides of the street that are clapping and pretty soon it turns into this little small town parade of uh, hundreds and hundreds of well-wishers, fire trucks and police cars with their lights flashing. And it uh, it's overwhelming. It's just like, it's, it's something out of like a, uh, 
a storybook and having hundreds and hundreds of people literally escorting me down to the ocean. And I've run a lot of miles in my life. Uh, that 3,156th, I think will, will always be my favorite. Like it was just so sweet and special to be able to share that with all these wonderful folks. That sounds pretty incredible. You know, I know finish lines can be hard for a lot of people. So how did you deal with the end of this journey? Yeah, so uh, let me contrast this. So finishing Run Across America, I have been so lucky that I haven't had the classic like depressive crash afterwards. I have been just super uplifted by my little hometown. We had a homecoming party. I get a hang of my nieces. Like life is so good. Like I'm so lucky that... You know, my employer welcomed me back with open arms. I feel very fulfilled and I'm running each day, but, you know, usually one or two or three miles. I'll contrast some of the bliss I'm experiencing now. Three years ago, finishing the World Marathon Challenge where I ran seven marathons, seven days, seven continents. At that finish line in Miami, the seventh marathon, I was uh, showered with champagne by my running sponsor. They didn't know that I'm a recovering alcoholic because I'd been too embarrassed and ashamed to like be open and honest with them. So they shower me with champagne and then send me back to my five-star hotel in Miami Beach they were putting me up in. And that night I almost relapse for the first time in several years. And that finish line was the epiphany for this start line because I realized that was my mission moment where I realized, man, like I am still actively wrestling with these demons. And until I've actually done the work around my own mental health, I am always going to be wrestling with this with kind of a hand tied behind my back where, uh, you know, friends shower me with champagne to celebrate this big thing I've done you know, almost tripped me up. Uh, and part of that's because I haven't been open and honest because I felt too embarrassed to be so. And that was my epiphany. Like I've got to turn, you know, turn the page, live more openly, honestly, authentically. And it set the stage for this finish line where, you know, I have other wild ideas. I want to keep working as an, you know, as a runner to, to, on my craft. And I want to, approach this with an open mind and open heart so that as I'm going through tough stuff, I can get the support I need. And as I reach these finish lines, I've got, you know, the right people, the right support and encouragement around to, uh, to keep at it. When Greg originally came up with the idea to run across America, it wasn't attached to a social cause or fundraiser. After several years of using running as a tool to preserve his own mental health and sobriety, Greg decided to start Run Far Foundation. The nonprofit supports youth mental health with grants for volunteer projects. Run Far Foundation also helps organize after school running clubs across the country. They provide jerseys, shorts, and notebooks for the kids to document their goals and their progress. Greg hopes these efforts will help young people in their own struggles with mental health. I mentioned earlier that I know a lot of endurance athletes who've dealt with addiction and maybe even some of them use running as sort of a replacement. Why do you think that is? I think one element um, on the calling side is a number of us have felt pretty broken and a number of us, myself included, have felt like a almost like a disconnection from that higher self. And endurance sports, by its very nature, calls us to work toward a better version of us. It calls us to 
find inspiration beyond ourselves because a lot of the stuff feels absolutely impossible when you get started. You know, I, I couldn't run a, a mile when I got going. And yet now, like I can go run 50 like that. That, that would be absolutely impossible uh, on day one. And we find inspiration. We find connection and community with others on the quest to be a better version of, of ourselves. And I think there is some dopamine. There is some serotonin. There is some oxytocin and other you know, brain waves behind all this. But ultimately, I think we, we want to rise up and honor our potential. And endurance sports is one uh, one vehicle to do so. Greg Nance, thank you so much for coming on Wild Ideas Worth Living. Your ambition, your confidence, and your courage are making a big impact. Congrats on your fundraising successes for youth mental health, and of course, on running across the entire United States. If you want to learn more about Greg Nance and his cross-country journey, you can follow him at Greg Runs Far on Instagram. To donate, volunteer, or learn more about Run Far Foundation, you can go to runfarfoundation.com. They're also on Instagram at runfarfoundation. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger, written and edited by Annie Fassler, Sylvia Thomas, and Sam Pierznitzberg of Puddle Creative. Our senior producer is Jenny Barber. Our executive producers are Paolo Motola and Joe Crosby. As always, we appreciate when you follow this show, rate it and review it wherever you listen. And remember, some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas. 